Mamas on a Mission is a podcast bringing you bold and ambitious women. Grab a coffee and let's meet Melbourne mamas who are showing the world and their kids that the mission is possible. I'm your host, Holly, the Chief Mama of Motherhood Melbourne. Hello and welcome to episode one. Yes, that's right, launching the podcast today and I'm really pumped that you're joining me. In fact, I would love for you right now to celebrate this moment with me. Take a screenshot of your phone or snap of where you're listening and share it on your Insta stories and tag Motherhood Melbourne so I can see. It would make my day. Thank you. Well, today I'm delighted to be speaking with Jessica McPherson, the founder and CEO of St Kilda Mums. It is an organisation that collects, sorts and rehomes pre-loved items such as nursery equipment, clothing and toys for babies and kids. Whilst many of us are really fortunate to be able to provide these items for our kids, there are many families in Melbourne that welcome a newborn into the world and don't have the basic necessities. Or life has thrown them a curveball and they're in a situation that they weren't expecting and they need support. Jessica and the team of volunteers at St Kilda Mums are on a mission to waste less, share more and care for every baby and child. Today, Jessica will be sharing how St Kilda Mums started, the incredible impact it's making and how you, as a Melbourne mum, can help. Let's meet Jessica. Hi, Jessica. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, I'm thrilled. But before we get into things, I have some quick questions that I want to ask. Sure, sure. Okay, <laughs> let's start off with the ultimate Melbourne test. What is your coffee order? Uh, it's always a cafe latte. Ooh, lovely. Uh, with sugar or without? Without sugar and with full cream milk. <laughs> yeah, awesome. And where are you drinking this latte? What's your favourite cafe? Well, I live in Balaclava in St Kilda, so I'm pretty blessed with plenty of choice. Uh, so it really just depends on the time of day. Uh, I love to have a coffee after a power walk a couple of mornings a week with a girlfriend and we we are always drawn back to hole in the wall um after nearly 15 years of living in melbourne it's still going strong um and then for meetings if i have a chance to duck out to a mid-morning meeting i like to go to a little coffee shop um on the corner of carlisle street and brighton road called the st kilda dispensary um it's it makes great coffee all press coffee and uh, the the decoration inside the cafe is incredibly stylish. So I, <laughs> I, I'm always inspired whenever I go to that coffee shop. And I, I love the owner. She's a lovely lady. So, yeah, I'm oh. always drawn back to the St Kilda dispensary. Oh, and it's great when you have a relationship too and it feels really, really comfortable like a second home. Yeah, I always feel very welcome there and uh it's it's a little off the beaten track, so I like yeah. to support businesses that that aren't you know right next to the railway station. Ah, oh, lovely! And what about your favourite family friendly place? Where do you like to go with the fam? Well, I'm spending a lot of time these days in Albert Park. Uh, I've got kids that like to play sports, and uh, if you wouldn't know today. I mean, today is one of those cold and, and wet days in Melbourne, but actually last <laughs> Saturday it was warm enough that we were able to have a picnic in the park after netball and kick a soccer ball around. We actually had a soccer ball and a footy ball, and we had a beautiful picnic sitting out in the sun. And, you know, 
what an incredible part to have so yeah. close to the city and it's you know and so close to the beach beach too actually when you think about it but I, there's something really special about Albert Park it's very calming so we are spending a lot of time there at the moment Oh, sounds brilliant. And what's your current binge at the moment? What are you watching, listening to or reading? Well, I'm actually, uh, my current binge is something called Trailhead. Uh, Have you heard of it before? No, I haven't. What is that? So it's a Salesforce learning tool, (laughs) I guess you would call it. It's fantastic. You create a login and you learn how to use different Salesforce products and tools and you the the it's guided learning so at the end of every module there's a short test and trailhead remembers uh your your history and keeps a record of your test results and you it's quite addictive because you go to different (laughs) levels of I, i guess you know experience or seniority so i'm at mountain air at the moment and i'm desperate to become a ranger so i'm i'm chasing the point it's a fantastic way to learn. I highly recommend it for anybody who's keen to learn more about Salesforce. Um, it's a very, very user-friendly and addictive, uh, fun and easy way to learn a software oh, platform. That yeah. sounds great. Are you doing that um, in your personal time as well? Yeah. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> I'm that sad. I'm that sad. I, uh, I get the kids into bed uh, probably around eight thirty nine o'clock and yeah. I get a hot water bottle and I jump <laughs> into bed with my laptop and I do I normally do about half an hour of trailhead mm-hmm. uh, before I go to sleep and yeah it's <laughs> it's it's my current binge I have yeah. to be honest with you about it yeah yeah so you're that you're that one person that's not watching The Bachelor <laughs> oh no 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 I'm not I'm I'm certainly not <laughs> doing that I, you know, I love it when I find something, it's normally on Netflix or, or, yeah. you know, a- Apple TV. If I find something that I really get addicted to, I mean, I've, I've watched Game of Thrones and House of Cards and, yeah. and The Handmaid's Tale, but I'm actually in a bit of a, a dull patch at the moment where there's, there's nothing I want to watch. So I'm, mm. I'm learning instead. And I learn something every time that I can apply back at work. And that's great because it leads to um, reduced admin time, reduced <laughs> manual processes and increased efficiency. So I love it. Oh, mm. that's great. And so when you're not learning, what is your simple self-care ritual? What are you doing that one thing for yourself? Well, I've got to say the, the hot water bottles yeah. <laughs> are very simple pleasure. Yes. Um, yeah, the hot water bottle on the small of the back. I like to, I like to watch movies with my kids. And, you know, sometimes we're watching the old classics over and over again. Who can't, who can't say no to another, another viewing of the princess bride? Um, <laughs> and if I do that, I always have the hot water bottle and normally some crochet in my hands. I love to crochet. So I'm. Aww often joining crochet squares for baby blankets for St Kilda mums or I've got another project on the go for myself. So that's probably, oh, and then, of course, there's the hot bath. I mean, (laughs) who doesn't love a hot bath (laughs) on a cold day? I suppose that would be the ultimate treat. Yes. Running a deep hot bath. Mm. Are you putting candles and oils and stuff? Are you doing that type of bath or are you just happy to jump in? (laughs) It's uh, probably don't go to that length, 
uh, I like to have a bath when the dryer is not running or the washing machine is not running in the next room. I quite like a little bit of quiet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a bath, a bath is a luxury in Melbourne because when my daughter was born 12 years ago, we were in the middle of a drought and I remember, I remember bucketing the bath water out to keep the street trees alive. So mm. that's, that's in very recent memory how precious water was. So, to me, a bath once a week is, is, is a real luxury. Oh, absolutely. I have little kids, so at the moment I can't get in the bath because they want to come in it with me. So <laughs> yes. it doesn't really feel like um, a pamper at all. So I can't wait till they're a bit older and they definitely don't want to walk in the bathroom when mum's in the bath. Mm. <laughs> nice to have that moment to yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you so much for sharing that. I love learning all these little things about you, but I'd love to get into the good stuff now. Uh, sure. So St Kilda Mums started in 2009. Can you share what was happening in your life at that time and how did the idea come about? Uh, at that time in my life, I had a two-and-a-half-year-old and a newborn baby boy. He was very underweight when he was born. He was less than three kilos. So I had to visit my maternal child health nurse bi-weekly. Uh, he was born in February 2009. He was born three days before the Black Saturday fires, you might remember. Yes. Um, and that was horrible, as you can imagine, because it was day three and I woke up in the morning thinking my milk's come in. And now I wonder what the thing will be that will mean I'll be unconsolable. You know, the th what's the thing that's going to make me cry? Yes. And I put on the news and oh. 200 people were dead in fires. And, and it was just, it was just horrible. Mm -hmm. It was a terrible, terrible thing that happened. And, and it was still hot. And my nurse was very concerned that my, that my son was getting dehydrated and he wasn't putting on weight. So I was, I was in the maternal child health center a lot and I saw mums waiting in the waiting room or leaving as I arrived who, who ob very obviously didn't have all the bells and whistles, baby care items that I had. And I offered my nurse some nappies. Um, I didn't need and some clothing my son had grown out as he got a little bit older and she said can you just pop those things in the photocopying room and when I got into the photocopying room it wasn't a large room but it was absolutely bulging with plastic bags and huggies boxes of donated clothing that other parents had had the same idea as me but this was no use to the nurses because they could never find what they needed when they needed it. And, and the room was an absolute mess. And in fact, they had, she told me that they'd got a volunteer from the council to come in and sort through. And the volunteer had simply put all the tops in one pile and all the bottoms in the other. And that the, the clothing wasn't great quality and it just looked, it just looked terrible. So I volunteered to organize the photocopying room and I said, look, let me just come in here and I'll sort this out for you. And I think the nurses were so relieved. <laughs> they, they immediately <laughs> agreed to it. And I got a, I got a working bee together with some of the other mums from my mother's group and my neighbor and a few other friends. And we spent a day there with our toddlers happily playing in the corner with our babies, you know, breaking for daffy changes and breastfeeding. We spent the whole day there 
we chucked half of the stuff out because it just wasn't good enough and everything else we packaged up into beautiful plastic bags. We had, you know, I'm one of those hoarders who keeps every <laughs> doona cover bag and every pillow bag. You know, when I buy a new pillow, it comes in a plastic bag. I had a whole heap of that sort of packaging that I bought in and we labelled everything clearly and stacked it neatly in a sort of organised fashion on the shelf and the, the nurses were just blown away and they were so grateful because there was no doubt that there were families that needed a helping hand, but the nurses didn't have time to sort through the donations and do what we had done, which was turn this raw stock into a gift. The gratitude of the nurses was probably the most inspiring thing for us because we knew that we were making a difference. We were all of us on maternity leave, so our families had gone down to one income. We didn't have money, but we had time and we had talent. And and the talent bit was that we were mums who were using we were mums who were using the 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 goods at the at the exact same sort of time and stage of life as as the mums that we were trying to help so so we were able to um we were able to to make suggestions to the nurses about what items would be practical and what wouldn't and and that was the big difference that we made at that time Wow, they must have, yeah, loved seeing you um, and bringing in all those people. That's amazing. So what happened next? How did St Kilda Mums actually then, how did you go from being in there with uh, the maternal health nurse to starting St Kilda Mums officially? Well, it was very, um, in the beginning, I I realised that, there were a lot of people who wanted to help because I started talking about it with my other girlfriends and they all said, oh, yes, I've got some baby things I'd love to give you. So it was very easy to get support, you know, to, to network among our community and find donations. And I sort of realised that needed to be organised and communicated in a way. Uh, so it started out with a, a distribution list in my Gmail account and then, uh, sort of put up a very simple um, website and started building a list, I suppose, of people who wanted to support the project. And then the enhanced care nurse, who was the specialist at the centre who, who did home visits to the most vulnerable families, she started handing out my number to social workers that were supporting the same families that she was visiting. So quite often... Here in St Kilda, there is transitional housing and specialist services for families with very specialist needs. So there's launch housing, for example, supporting families experiencing homelessness. There's all sorts of counselling services and treatment services for people who might be um, uh, have a have some kind of addiction they're getting treatment for. There's uh, refuges and transitional housing for families that are experiencing family violence so these all of these specialist services when there's babies involved they they work very closely with enhanced maternal and child health so the the nurse started handing my number out to these these other social workers and they started contacting us and asking for material aid for their clients that may or may not live in St Kilda but but 
people who had small children who who just needed a pram or some clothing or a breast pump or whatever the specialist item was. So to begin with, we were very much uh, getting a request in, doing a shout out to our to our network when this was all done in an email distribution list. Has anyone got a single pram and a breast pump, for example? Receiving that donation, checking that it was clean and safe, and then passing it on to that particular social worker and this was all happening on our front porches and in our garages and then of course once the service was established and known we never we've never marketed our service to social workers it's it's always been word of mouth I've always heard uh, about us from another social worker and today we have well I think we've got about 3,500 social workers on our email distribution list. Not all of them access our service every year because not all of them are specialists at working with babies, families with babies, but they, they will dip in and out of our service as, as families come onto their caseload. So it was on both sides, on both the, the donation side and also on the service side, it was very much driven by word of mouth and we as the conduits, as the people who, you know, got the goods and checked they were safe and then passed them on, we were the, the our constraints were always things like time and space. So as we grew and we tried to address uh, those those constraints by recruiting more volunteers to share the work around or by fundraising so that we could afford to pay the rent on a larger premise, you know, every time we made an investment in space or people, we would have this massive kind of click in our in, in our scale. So I've only been employed for five years and I was the only employee for the first year. And in that five-year time, we've grown 18-fold. Wow. So, wow. so, so every time we employ somebody, so every time we, we turn a volunteer role into a paid role, even if it's only a part time, you know, 6.6, three day a week role, the, the, the efficiencies are extraordinary. The, the, uh, ability to serve many, many more people and turn over much more stock is extraordinary when, when those investments are made. Wow. And so when did you move from obviously your house, the front porch into a, a designated space? We worked, uh, out of our own homes and for the first year, uh, then we had a lockup storage unit for about three and a half years, which was literally a double garage down a cobblestone <laughs> laneway, had no running water, had no oh. toilet. So we used to work in one hour shifts, uh, and you know, we, it, it was just, it was extraordinary to look back now and think that all those social workers would back their <laughs> company vehicle down that laneway to get the material aid from, you know, a, a bunch yes. of housewives. <laughs> you know, that, that's not fair, actually. We, we weren't a bunch of housewives, but, but we were, we were all volunteers and we're there and we've got yeah. our kids with us and, you know, somebody, somebody's toilet training someone and someone can't wait <laughs> and they're pulling a potty off the back of the ute and having, you know, it was just, it was hilarious. But 
the social workers did that because we were the only place they could go. There is no government funding for a pram or for clothing. And they were so determined to do the best that they could to support the families with the materials that they needed to provide a safe environment for their kids that they they persevered with us. And I think that they they understood that our motivation was uh, pure, that we took a lot of care with the uh, the cleaning and the safety checking of all of these secondhand items. Mm-hmm. And they grew with us. Now we offer a a, a much more uh, convenient service and that they, can, <laughs> they can park outside the roller door and we can load them up much quicker. They're, they're, the first four and a half years, it was all volunteer run. And then as soon as we're able to secure, you know, fundraise enough money to mm-hmm. take out a lease uh, at number five Vale Street, then we... We soon after that we were able to employ me as the first um, staff member. I don't advise for anybody to lease a warehouse without having any paid person to run it. It's very difficult to run a to run a a three hundred square meter building with only volunteers. Mm-hmm. When you start to take into consideration occupational health and safety and that sort of thing you really do need to have somebody to organize it all yeah no that's a great learning thank you and it's so interesting uh seeing that transition that you went through but I would love for you to explain um who St Kilda Mums helps specifically because I think sometimes you might think is that just for St Kilda Mums and the Mm. impact of your work and I know this will be incredible sure so we help any, uh, we help anyone. So we provide a free service via social workers and maternal child health nurses, midwives and other health professionals. They register with us mm-hmm. and we check that they're legitimate and that's very simple. We look at their email address. So if somebody contacts us and says, I work for Women's Refuge, uh, but they can't tell us the name of the Women's Refuge and they're emailing us from a Hotmail address, we, we have to say, look, can you please email us from your work email address so we know that you're working for a legitimate service provider. Mm-hmm. Once we do that um, check, then they become, they, they, they're on our email distribution list for, for our service and they can order as much as they need for the families that they're working with. We rely on these social workers to get the goods to the families. They've, the many cases they've visited the families in their home. So they, do, they, they don't just know what the family wants, but they also have identified what the family might need. A safety gate at the bottom of the staircase, for example, or, or over the doorway to the kitchen to keep the toddler from crawling into the kitchen and touching the oven. So we're really relying on the relationship the social worker has with the family to decide what goods are required and best suited to the family. And then, then when they come and pick up, they will be taking to somebody, the family might be living in transitional housing or temporary housing. Uh, we know that the biggest cohort of families that require our service are actually new Australians, so refugees, asylum seekers and migrants. 
And that's easy to understand because when you come from a country like Burma, for example, where co-sleeping is the norm and you get to Australia and your maternal child health nurse says to you, you must have a cot, that's all very well. But if it's not the cultural norm and the family is a refugee family with very limited income, it's unreasonable to expect that they can just drive even if they can drive but get themselves to target to buy a cot for their for their child so oftentimes with new australians they need support with material aid because that the products that they're unfamiliar with so it's very important that that we give them as much support as possible uh to to safely care for their children and and it's not that we it's not that we uh, aren't supportive of co-sleeping. It's that the baby needs somewhere safe to go during the day. So when mum's in the kitchen uh, cooking dinner, the baby's not in an adult bed with your blankets and pillows. The baby's actually in a cot with where where they're safest to be sleeping or playing or or uh, resting during the day. So so the second biggest cohort of of families that use our service and we know this because we ask these questions of the social workers when they come and pick up but the second biggest cohort is families experiencing violence mm-hmm. and the third largest cohort is families experiencing homelessness or at risk of homelessness and family violence and homelessness really go so hand in hand because often the main reason why why the 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 family is uh, unable to leave the unsafe environment is because they have nowhere to go and vice versa. Uh, family breakdown does eventuate in homelessness and homelessness leads to family breakdown. So, so those, those are very, a very large percentage, probably 20% each of the families that we support have those as the causes of disadvantage. And often there will be multiple causes of disadvantage as well. So it might be that the mum has um, is suffering from poor mental health, but she also has a physical disability and uh, she's at risk of homelessness. And, you know, there might be another, there might be another cause uh, or another reason why that having a a difficult time like low income for example or unemployment so we we record all of those causes Mm -hmm. and we aggregate them up so we sort of have a real picture of what the need is and why and some of the some of the social workers we work with are incredibly specialist and often there will be multiple social workers working with the one family so if it's a family violence situation and they've had to flee interstate and they're starting over, then they're going to have other challenges like isolation from extended family, therefore no backup, no childcare options, no, uh, uh, no ability to get the kids to, to daycare because there's no vehicle. So there's a, there's a lot of ways that we're trying to support and strengthen those families by providing a car restraint uh, for the social worker to transport the child in their car or providing a pram so that mum can get the baby, you know, get, get the kids to school in the morning because she's got some some way of transporting the baby safely. So 
we're working very, very closely with the social workers to get the most appropriate goods for a particular family. Wow. And so what, what are the impact that you're seeing from your work and, and what they're providing for the families then? Well, it's, it's transformational for, for mm. some families and we're very lucky because we're not dealing with the families directly. We're giving everything yeah. to their social worker, but the families let us know. So they will send us a message on Facebook. They'll write us a letter. They, they will, they will thank us for the support we've given them and they will sometimes really write a very long letter about how it made a big difference to them. And there was a, a really touching one recently from a mum who started out, who she, she actually hand-delivered a letter here. So I have, oh. no, have no idea of, of who she is, but she made a donation. She bought her own kids' things here to make a donation and she included this note which had my name on it. So I received it and opened it up and she said that she never imagined that she would be someone who would need our help, oh. but that five years ago she uh she gave birth to a baby boy and there was a complication with the birth and he was born with cerebral palsy so she now is the carer of a five-year-old with significant physical disability and significant Mm -hmm. needs and she's had a second baby she's just had a baby girl but because every spare cent she's got goes towards caring for this older child and his specialist appointments. Yeah. She, she didn't have what she wanted for her baby girl and through her social worker, we were able to provide her with clothing and bedding and all the other things a little baby needs. And, and she just wanted to let us know how grateful she was that we had her back because (sighs) we don't really care what the reason is that you need to ask for help. We're just happy you're asking. Yes. Because even though one in six children in Australia are born into poverty, five and six are not. So it's not hard to see how a, 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 a transfer of a small amount of material goods from the haves to the haves-nots is just the way to deal with this problem because a lot of baby equipment used for a very short period of time. When you think about all of the bounces and bassinets and change tables that get used for three months, six months, 12 months. Mm-hmm. And, and we've all had, I, I think we've all had the experience of having our own first baby. And as soon as you tell your friends you're having a baby, the first thing they say is, oh, I've got a such and such you can have, <laughs> or I've got a, because we're all desperate to get rid of this stuff, right? Yes. We want it to go to a good home. We want it to go somewhere where it's needed. We don't want to be, we don't want to be dropping this stuff off at the tip or calling a hard rubbish collection. We want to make sure it gets to live again. Uh, so yeah, that's what we're doing is we're the, the matchmakers between people who want to help and, and people who need a helping hand. Wow. Um, I actually got quite emotional when you were talking about that story with the woman. Um, and it must be amazing because yeah. like you said, that you're not the one that's actually dropping these off to people, but the fact that they're coming back, they're sending, you know, emails and even donating when they themselves are in a better position. Uh, that's just truly well, remarkable. That's the full circle, right? Yeah. The full circle is you're going through a tough time. You need to ask for help. You're brave enough. You're strong enough to do it. If you're brave enough and strong enough for, to ask for help, you should be 
treated with the utmost respect. Absolutely. And, and, and the goods that you receive from us should be beautiful and they should make you feel great. You know, this is not cast off. Someone's cast off. This is not stained clothing or torn clothing or ripped clothing. This is freshly laundered, beautifully presented, good quality gear. Everything that we do has to be beautiful because it's a gift and it's a celebration of a new baby in your life. And, and who doesn't love to acknowledge a new baby <laughs> with a special gift? So, so, you know, if you, if you, if you're going through a tough time and you're brave enough to ask for help, then you deserve to get the best. And then if two or three or 10 years later, you're in a position where you can give back. And, and for some people, it's a very, very short period of time before they get on their feet and they're able to mm-hmm. give again. Um, then, then how amazing is that? That's, that's, that's coming full circle. Some of our biggest financial supporters are mums that we help and helped eight years ago. Some of our most consistent financial supporters who respond to every, every appeal that we, we put out are mums that we've helped in the past. And, and they, they're extraordinary. In fact, we have employed, we now have a number of employees in the three cities we operate. And we recently employed somebody who, who has recent lived experience of family violence of leaving a, an abusive marriage, of moving towns and starting over again with her three kids and so when it is it it is tough when you're making a decision to walk away from a marriage from a mortgage often for many people you know they're they're financially uh tied to their abuser which makes it difficult to leave Um, but when you when you're brave enough to make that decision um you do get to start over. You get to start a, a new life with a lot of support. You get to start a new life free from violence. And that's amazing. It's great. And and yeah. the government, our government has spent, the Victorian government has has put a lot of effort into the, the, their response to family violence. And, and there are hubs being established in a number of regional towns. And there's a, a whole lot of way of looking at the abuse that women, because women don't just suffer physical abuse, they also suffer financial abuse. And financial yeah. abuse is, is knowing that if you walk out, you lose your home. Um, physical abuse, of course, is terrifying. There's, there's all sorts of bad situations that, that people get into. And, and now probably more than ever before, uh, workplaces are starting to bring family violence leave in, for example. Wow. So... But that means if there are more, if there are more, uh, if there are more families being supported to leave and start over, then we need to be ready with homes and with goods to fill those homes for those families. Oh, absolutely. And I'm sure people that are listening right now are thinking, I want to help. I have things at home. I can definitely donate. So can you tell us some of the practical ways that Melbourne mums can get involved? What is it that you're really after and how can they help St. Kilda Mums with its mission? Oh, great. Uh, we've got a huge amount of information on our website about everything we can and can't rehome. Okay. So we ask people to to have a good read of our website and check that the items that they're thinking about donating uh, are suitable. We are very uh, focused on quality. So we we want to make sure that 
we're only providing goods that are needed and wanted and not necessarily something that might be a very practical item for you or I might not be practical for somebody who's living in crisis accommodation in a one room uh, motel unit with three small children. So, so we really make sure that our service is tailored to what's required by the social workers, not necessarily what people have to donate. Um, so there's a lot of information about that on our website. We also welcome volunteers. We love to welcome new volunteers all the time. We have a, an induction process, which is an hour long tour of our HQ, meeting our team and learning about the different tasks that are available. We also have a workplace volunteering program where you can come in for a day with your team from work, a team of 10 to 15 people. And there's information about that on our website as well. A lot of businesses have some kind of community service um, program set up already in their in their workplace, and we love to welcome teams. And we've got a, a group from Energy Australia here today. Uh, there are other ways people can help. People can uh, support our support our fundraising campaigns, which we talk about on our social media pages. If you sign up for our newsletters you'll find out about the various uh, campaigns and programs we run during the year. One very popular one is called One Mother to Another, and that's a Mother's Day gift that we invite people to prepare. We ask for a toiletry bag full of all the things that you would love to have. If, if you imagine that you suddenly ended up in a women's refuge or that your house had burnt down, what are the, uh, what are the, Practical items, cosmetics, mm-hmm. makeup, shampoo, conditioner, all of those sorts. What are the things that you can't live without? So we ask people to think about that and fill a toiletry bag and write a note of support oh, to another mother. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh my God. And include that with your gift and then we pass that out as a Mother's Day gift. And the thing that is so beautiful about this campaign is that the gifts are given to the children and in many instances, it's the first time that child has ever been able to give their mother a gift for Mother's oh. Day. Choking up again? I am. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. I, I didn't because, that, but I, I cannot wait. Um, so you run that, when did you say, around Mother's Day? We do that every okay. April. I am doing that next year. It's happening. <laughs> So, we, so some people will they'll, 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 they'll get together with their girlfriends and they'll, yes. they'll put 10 kits together or they'll, they'll run a collection point at their workplace or they will, uh, they, you know, there's a, people can be so creative with, with their support. Yes. We always do, every year we do a, a COTS campaign, COTS for Tots it's called, where we, yes. we raise funds to purchase new COTS. We also sometimes fundraise to purchase new car restraints. And we sometimes purchase prams for multiples, like triples and quads. But pretty much everything else is secondhand. And, in fact, last year we distributed over 50,000 items and 96% of those items were pre-loved. Wow. That's incredible. That's it. We have a very very, uh, good... a very good ratio of, of items that we're turning over versus versus the uh, versus the new stuff that we buy to supplement the the secondhand stock. Yes. So we're really buying, we're really fundraising to purchase the critical items. Cots, prams, and car restraints are the kind of the three most important safety items. 
And when the volunteers are coming in, what are they doing? What tasks do you put them on to? Oh, very varied tasks. So we have some people who are highly specialist. So to give you an example of a couple of people, we've got Cindy, who is our cloth nappy hero. She <laughs> loves cloth nappies and she loves supporting mums into the decision or, or you know, not necessarily use cloth nappies all the time, but supporting mums and using cloth nappies some of the time. Mm-hmm. We, we're very fortunate a lot of people will donate their really great quality modern cloth nappies to us and she puts together starter packs for newborns and for older children. She actually laminates the instructions for cleaning and use so that the mum who receives the bundle is able to have that laminated sheet in the laundry and it won't perish. Oh. <laughs> so she's she's incredible. She is incredible. Good on Cindy. <laughs> yeah, and then and then when the social workers come in, we encourage them to take a starter pack of cloth nappies as well as disposable nappies and just make that as an option for the family mm-hmm. if they choose to do so. Because we estimate that if you if you use disposable nappies and use formula it's somewhere between two to three thousand dollars for each is what you're going to outlay on formula and disposable nappies over the the average sort of two two and a half years for nappy use and you only need formula for the first 12 months you can go to cow's milk at 12 months but there's a huge cost involved and for most of us we don't even really think about that that just becomes part of your weekly shop. But for families that have got no income at all, and there's a large number of asylum seekers living in community in in Melbourne that don't have any income at all. And anything we can do to support them and, and to support them to support them in their breastfeeding journey by providing a breast pump, for example, Mm -hmm. or, give them some cloth nappies so they're not so dependent on disposable nappies, then, then that's a great feeling to be able to help them. Um, other specialist volunteers are our tinkers, so our, our tinker fairies or, or tinkers, <laughs> uh, fixed prams principally, other items as well uh, uh, are looked after by our tinker fairies, but, but things like changing punctures and repairing rips in the canvas of the, of the sling of a pram, uh, making sure everything's clean and working, replacing ball bearings and wheels. There's a, there's a, a, a huge skill set there. We have another role which, uh, we're always looking for new volunteers for because we're always trying to expand our operating hours. This role is called the Queen of First Impressions, <laughs> Coffee for short. And what the coffee does is just be that smiling face out the front of the building so that when our donors pull into the car park, uh, we help them unload their car as quickly as possible. Often there'll be a sleeping baby in the back seat. Yeah. Uh, so we want to, we want to help you unload your car and get on the road quickly. And, uh, that coffee is, you know, somebody who's, who's very welcoming and very understanding because a lot of people, the first thing they do when they lift their 15 year old mountain buggy out of the car that's been sitting in the garage for 10 years just in case <laughs> um, is they burst into tears because it's a it's a symbol of babyhood ending you know it's a symbol of yeah. your kids growing up a symbol of that that time of life uh 
ending. (laughs) And for some people, it's a really sad moment. Mm. And sometimes we have people who come and they're donating their baby things because the much wanted baby that they were expecting never arrived. And that is heartbreaking. And that stuff's been in the attic or it's been in storage for five years. And that family's finally realised that baby's never going to come. And being able to donate it to St Kilda mums to pass on to a family in need is part of their healing journey and, and part of their letting go. And those stories always just completely slay us. We just, we find, you know, there are some really sad stories that we, we learn sometimes when people tell us about their, about the reason why they're here making a donation or sometimes when the social workers tell us a little bit more about the families they're supporting. You know, there are women who are giving birth to babies and welcoming babies into the world and they were the victim of a rape. There There are some extraordinary stories that we hear and we just think that the celebration of the birth of a baby should be, it should be that. It should be the celebration of a new life, of a new beginning. And it shouldn't matter the circumstances of the family that the child's born into. We should all come together to support that new parent, that new family, and welcome their baby and tell them that your baby is just as important as any other baby. And your baby deserves a safe start to life and you need all the help in the world to be a great parent and we're going to give it to you. Well, Jessica, you're doing the most incredible things and... I can imagine that people are sitting there, especially hearing your story from, you know, 2009 on the porch or in your house, going to that um, little lock-up garage and now, you know, a huge facility and helping so many people in in lots of different ways, probably ways that you never even thought that you would impact their lives. If Mm -hmm. someone's listening and they really want to embark on a mission or they want to start a charity because they can see that there's a real need somewhere, What's one piece of advice that you'd offer? And I'm sure you've got more than one, but just that real key one. The, the most important thing is to do really thorough research mm-hmm. and make sure that nobody else is already addressing the need. So, I mean, we, we've established, we've helped to establish groups all over Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, to do exactly what we're doing. And we've got a list of all of those groups on our website under the contact tab. We call them our sister organisations. And we've supported groups in every state and in the ACT. The only place we haven't start, we haven't been able to help anyone in yet is Darwin. So if you've got any Darwin listeners, <laughs> we would love to hear from, we'd love to help you get started. So we, we've, you know, th- those groups of people did identify that there was a need in their community and they sought to do something about it and we're very, very happy to, to help those people. But if somebody is already, if you've got an, a cause that you want to address and somebody is already addressing that need, go and volunteer for them because they yes. will always need volunteers. And if you feel really passionately about the cause or the need, then you're, you're going to find like-minded people and you're going to fit right in. Mm-hmm. Um, it really 
you know, it doesn't matter how large the charity is, they will always welcome new ideas and new volunteers. You can, you can approach World Vision, the biggest charity in Australia, and say, I want to do something about poverty in the third world, and they will have a job for you. It's mm. not hard to offer your time and your talent. And, and it's so rewarding to, to work with like-minded people. Mm-hmm. So, so find the cause that you that you want to address, and there might be multiple causes as well. Another great way is to just get on many newsletter lists as you possibly can, mm-hmm. and that's a that's a good way to be inspired. Oh, excellent! Thank you so much for sharing that. And it's so true about not duplicating what's already been done, but adding to and helping uh, with your time. Yeah. Time is precious. (laughs) Absolutely. And so with everything that you've already achieved with St Kilda Mums, what is the next step? So what are you working towards for the future? Well, we're working on a mobile application at the moment, which is very exciting. We've gathered uh, lots of information over the past nine years about what products are safe and what products aren't. And we want to make that information available to the world. Have you ever heard of uh, ANCAP ratings on vehicles? No, I haven't. What is that? So the ANCAP rating is a body of research that tests vehicles, cars, uh, but once they are several years old. Mm -hmm. So car manufacturers put their cars through testing when they're new, but ANCAP was a research project that started in a university and consumers discovered this body of research and sort of jumped on it, pounced on it, because they they were very interested in knowing, well, how does – it's great to know what the, how that car's performing when it's brand new, but how does it perform when it's 10 years old or 5 years old? And for us, it's a similar thing, because there are lots of nursery products that were sold and distributed 10 years ago, for example, that are no longer supported in the Australian market. There's a large number of product recalls for things like COPS and they're still happening today. And we want to bring all of that information together in one easy-to-use platform so that if you are, maybe somebody's given you some of their second-hand nursery gear and you're not sure about it, you could look it up on our app or a social worker who's working with a foster family can look up all the items in the foster home on our app or you are, you're thinking about buying something secondhand on Gumtree or eBay and you're not sure. Because some products that are sold today are made well and distributed by suppliers who offer after sales service and spare parts. And some products are not. Some products sold today have no uh, have, have no distribution in Australia. You know, they're, they're just sold in the retail store and they're shipped out on containers. So if, if three years down the track, you're trying to find a copy of the assembly instructions or you're missing one glide pin on the cot, you're, you're not able to get that spare part or you're not, or in the case of many cots, in fact, a lot of cot manufacturers simply shut down and went out of business. And we're often offered these cots. People will say, I want to donate my gum leaf cot or my Australia, uh, my Australia in moon clock, uh, cot. And we can't even get a copy of the assembly instructions. And, and they, they're actually, they're actually more than 10 years old now. So they don't meet the current safety standard. And there are, there were, I think four cots recalled in 2017. 
And this information is available on the ACCC product safety website, but it's not easily consumable. Mm. And it's very frustrating because when the product recall comes out and the product recall might have come out 10 years ago, the phone number for the supplier is, is, doesn't work today. So even if you do go to that website, you're not going to find the answers you need as to, well, how am I going to, how am I going to find this, this, the, the replacement part that I need now? And there are different guidelines for different nursery products about how old they can be. And some of those guidelines are from the manufacturer, some are from the regulator, and some of them are just really common sense. And for us, you know, we've learned that at, if a high tier is more than 10 years old and it's principally made of plastic, plastic becomes brittle with time and can easily break and become a laceration hazard. So we wouldn't recommend a high chair to be used when it's more than 10 years old, but that's our own knowledge. So we want to share some of those those practical tips with the world, I guess is what we want to do. And in doing so, encourage the safe reuse of secondhand items, mm-hmm. uh, but but make sure that we're taking obsolete or unsafe products out of circulation entirely. And when is this is this app sort of still in the development phase or when do you expect yes, it? Yes, I've got a that? working prototype because yeah. I'm seeking funding at the moment. Okay. So the the there are some more development costs uh for for the web you know the iOS web developers to mm-hmm. to make it to to complete um, the product design and then of course there'll be some maintenance costs and we really need to be able to employ somebody even if it's just one day a week to make sure the data set is always full because for the product for the app to be usable you need to be able to put in any product that that's in the stores today yes or was sold in the last 20 years and find it so <laughs> Because we, we don't want to launch the product on the app store and have a whole lot of information missing so people mm. use it once and say, oh, well, it didn't have my pram, so therefore it's no good. Yes. So that's that's what we're looking for funding for with that app. Wow, that's incredible. Um, and I'm sure you will get it and it will be really, really helpful for people. I hope so. We've got to do something about our uh, about consumer waste. Yes. And we've got to be able to, we've got to be able to use secondhand products safely. And one thing that's very interesting is when I speak to suppliers, so that particularly with, to do with prams, when I speak to distributors and, and manufacturers of prams, they say that their biggest competitor now is actually people choosing to buy secondhand prams and not new. So they see all of the prams that are being traded on Gumtree and eBay as a significant competitor to their new product sales. Mm-hmm. And and what that is, is that's, that is consumers saying we're not going to be part of the problem of landfill and rubbish and consumer waste. We are going to deliberately choose secondhand products and and save something from landfill. So that's very interesting that that parents today are, you know, are significant. And I think this this movement towards recycling is only going to grow with uh, the war on waste, the ABC's war on waste really gives you pause, doesn't it? It really makes you think about the decisions we're making. Um, and I, we want to we want to be supportive of that. We want yeah. to we want to help those parents make 
good decisions because we know that there are there are a dozen pram brands that are fantastic that the pram can be 30 years old and still going strong <laughs> you know <laughs> if it's handmade steel in Sweden Ermalunga it can be 30 years old it can be retrofitted with a tether strap and and the correct harness for the toddler seat and it's it's like new it's yeah. fantastic in fact it's safer than a lot of modern prams because the four fixed wheels don't roll in front of trains right so that's a recent phenomena with the swivel wheels at the front of a pram now prams rolling in front of trains that never used to happen because prams always had four wheels that all went in the same direction um so so there's there's we we know the pram brands that are that are well made and reliable and easy to repair and there's no reason why they can't continue to be used generation after generation if they're well cared for yes and your app will help them because they'll say oh i don't actually have to throw that out i can pass that on to someone and it can be so it's a real heirloom (laughs) yeah absolutely oh well that sounds really amazing and we have finished our chat today and I have enjoyed it so much. I'm sorry about the tears, uh, <laughs> but the work you're doing is incredible and your whole team because I'm, I'm sure that, it, it, you know, just as motherhood, it takes a village to continue with a charity and all the work that you do. It sure does take a village. Thank you. <laughs> if you've enjoyed meeting Jessica and can't wait to hear from more amazing Melbourne mums, subscribe to the podcast and join the hood at Motherhood Melbourne. I'll give you a wink and a nudge to let you know when the next mummer is up. But can I ask one more favour? Call, text, Facebook message or DM your mama pals and let them know there's a new podcast in town. I'm on a mission to bring awareness to the incredible Melbourne mamas that live their days with purpose and have created something really special to help others. If you're looking for Mumsbo, you'll find it right here. Okay, that's a wrap. Thanks for hanging out with me. 